when we talk about the media, we have all become the media. That's in right. In the sense that That's we right. all produce and disseminate information and, and share We're hosting content. a podcast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're the only legitimate journalist no, 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 in this no, room, I, and yet Chris I, and I, the, you know, are interviewing you. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, Mexico City Edition, everybody. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, joined by the best ever podcast co-host in the whole universe, Professor Chris Sands of the Woodrow Wilson Center. Hey, Chris. It's always a pleasure. I feel my head increases uh, in size every time I'm on the show with you, but nice to be back in Canusa Street. It's good to be here with you, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation. I'm excited about it with our guests. So why don't we get right to it and you introduce them properly, and then we'll giddy up. Well, it's a it's a great guest for us. Enrique Acevedo is a correspondent with CBS News. Uh, he, not CBC, for those of you who are listening from Canada, but CBS, <laughs> an American network where he reports across multiple broadcasts and platforms. And I guess this is journalism now. It's not just TV, it's radio, it's, it's podcasting and more. Um, he's reported on a wide range of topics, including the 2020 presidential election, U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan, violence against journalists here in Mexico. He's an Emmy award-winning journalist and has covered so many news stories, not only in English, but also in Spanish, which is really important both for the American market and the international market. He's covered three presidential elections, COVID-19, the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, humanitarian crisis in Haiti, uh, tsunami in Japan. It seems everywhere he goes, there's a disaster. And let's hope that he isn't bringing a disaster here in Canusa Street. So thank you so much for coming, Mr. Acevedo. We're delighted to have you. No, thank you so much. I'm, I'm only missing French to be a true North American That's right. in my reporting, you know? Well, uh, maybe you could pick that up just I on would, the side. I would love to, yes. <laughs> well, we're thrilled to have you. And, you know, in order to prepare for this trip to Mexico City, I went to the Woodrow Wilson Center, actually, about a week ago. And they published a new book. It's called Mexico, A Challenging Assignment. And it's interviews with former U.S. ambassadors to Mexico. And it's by uh, Dolia Estevez, whom you may know, a very prominent Mexican uh, journalist. But the I wanted to start with something pretty serious. The, the dedication of her book um, really struck me as I was reading it on the plane down here. And maybe you could talk about it. She says, to the memory of the many Mexican journalists who have lost their lives doing their job in a country where it is more dangerous to investigate crimes than to commit them. Is she overstating that? No, I think um, there's a war against truth in Mexico. Only one side is holding AK-47s and the other one has a pen and a notepad. Um, really, the, the amount of uh, violence we've, we've seen against journalists in this country, the the, the level of violence, um, the, the the number of murders that we've seen not just this year, but in the past two decades, uh, makes Mexico one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous, country in the world to be a journalist. Okay. So um, I definitely subscribe to what Dolia says in the book, and um, and you know uh, we try in all solidarity to to cover this um, the issue from the U.S. So, so they feel that they're not alone and at least, you know, not, it's not just the, the, the CPJ, the Community to Protect Journalists or Article 19 uh, talking about this, but that the American audience um, also knows that this is going on just 
a uh, couple of, of, of miles uh, away from where they, they, they live. Well, and I find it shocking, actually. Um, this is, if we weren't talking to you and if I hadn't read this, I actually wouldn't have known that. Um, where is it coming from? Who, who, is, who is so mad at journalists in Mexico? You know, that's the number one question I get when we talk about violence against journalists really? in Mexico. And it's, yeah. a, it's a hard question to answer because uh, it has to do with uh, systemic impunity in Mexico. Like every other country, Mexico suffers from corruption. But I think that what, what really makes a difference here is, is the impunity, the level of impunity. If you commit a crime in Mexico, let's say you walk in the street, you walk up to someone and, and you shoot him. Uh, mm -hmm. um, if you're not caught in the act, there's over a 99% chance that you never set foot in a jail. Wow. So I think that incentivizes violence, not just against journalists, but in general, right? And criminality. Yeah. If there are no no consequences for your acts, then, you know, odds are that that uh, that you'll keep on doing it. Um, and so in the case of journalists, I think it started with maybe, you know, criminal organizations uh, that didn't like what the journalist was yeah, reporting. Yeah, reporting on their activities, who they perhaps. they were talking, and maybe yeah. rival gangs who thought that a journalist was favoring you know, the, 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 other, the other organization. And then I think it evolved to just anyone at any level of power, political, corporate, criminal that, that that doesn't like journalists and, and then tries to to shut them down it's you know it's incredible to think about because you know i would have thought that the main characteristics to be if you wanted to be a journalist was you'd have to be a good writer good communicator you'd have to be curious um you'd have to have integrity uh so that you investigate both sides but um and and i guess if you're covering a war zone or something you'd have to be brave but i i didn't think of it otherwise as a very dangerous job and i guess you're convincing me that it at least in mexico it is i think it's uh you know along with environmental activists one of the most dangerous jobs there is in, in Mexico. Um, and, and it also has to do with the fact that uh, most journalists are not very well paid. It's a profession that's not that well respected in Mexico. And, um, and there's a long history uh, to, that we could go into uh, uh, as to why that happens. But, um, but I think that's also part of the, the problem, right? That uh, these journalists uh, sometimes uh, get, get caught up in situations that, that become dangerous. I want to ask you a little bit about this. You know, we normally cover the Canada-U.S. side, and of late there's been a lot of talk about fake news and manipulation of, of what we know and how that undermines our democracy. But it strikes me that undermining respect for journalism and media goes back even further. I can't remember the last time I saw, other than maybe all the president's men, a movie in which the journalists were heroes. They're almost always out there being villains along with corporate tycoons and mobsters and politicians. But how, how did we, in all three of our countries, in Canada, the US and Mexico. All over the world, really. Really, all over the world. How did we turn on the people who were reporting and giving us information? What happened to our culture that we, that we started first disrespecting and then dehumanizing these, these people. Well, I think it also has to do with the fact that when we talk about the media, we ignore the fact that we have all become the media. That's in right. In the sense that That's we right. all produce and disseminate information and, and share We're hosting content. a podcast. You know, <laughs> you go. You're the only legitimate journalist no, 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 in this no, room, I, and yet no, Chris and I, the, you know, are interviewing we're you. We're on the same boat. Maybe I'm, I'm, the, the difference I would say with you know, someone who makes a living out of, out of this and, or has made a living out of this is, is that I'm all the time accountable for what I say. Mm -hmm. So there's a rigor component here. Right. And, and I have to be also transparent about how I go about doing it. Like someone right. just uploads a video on YouTube and says whatever they want to say, what they're looking for is There's news, no editor. Right? Yeah. There's no editor. There's no uh, consequence if they 
are lying or they're just uh, you know right. uh, spreading lies, rumors, misinformation. Um, but how we lost confidence in the public, I think it, it, it has to do about with our political moment also, right? We see these uh, ethno-nationalistic forces uh, being aimed at, at uh, all our institutions, and the free press is probably the first uh, casualty of that of that war, uh, if you want to call it that, against truth, uh, because if you discredit the the messenger, maybe not that is a famous book, right? Not, not, not kill the messenger, but if you discredit it, then you're allowed to do and say whatever you want because no one's there to check that power. And then, but you know, I, you're very right. I will say Canada may be a little bit different in this because because I've I've seen White House press briefings where the level of anger the journalist and the presidential spokesman is just palpable and then you see President Lopez Obrador and he has those famous uh, you know morning commentaries Las and so yes and he and he just goes after people who criticize him including journalists by name we haven't seen that happen too much in Canada yet well but, just wait have you met the opposition leader well all right maybe but what's the role of leaders political leaders, um, we, we often sort of don't make the distinction. They're, they're head of state and they're head of government, but sometimes they don't take that ceremonial role that they have to be a you know, sp spokesman for the nation. Are they giving us basically a signal that it's free hits on journalists because they get to do it? Yeah, imagine when it happens in a country where you have all these violence against journalists. I think Absolutely. it just puts more fire um, uh, to, the, to the flame. Um, I, I would think, I believe in, in, in this idea of like trickle down incivility, right? When our leaders, political leaders, and also those of us who have the privilege of having a microphone, a camera in front of us, when we approach things, especially in a highly polarized environment, like the one we're experiencing in, in Mexico, in, in the US, maybe at in some level in Canada and other places, um, I think it's our responsibility to tone it down and to try to set an example in terms of establishing dialogue, cooperation, um, sort of constructive uh, interactions. And I think, unfortunately, what we've seen more and more from political leaders, media personalities, uh, is, is, is there's, there's a way to profit from this uh, division and, and this sort of incendiary narrative. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, you know, if you get more followers on Twitter, if you say outrageous things and you're, if you're right. the loudest voice, right. there's no incentive to be measured and civil right. and rigorous on, other than believing in, in, in it. That that's, that's the right, that's thing, the to right thing to do. Yeah. So maybe I should have started here, um, but we're here at the North Capitol Forum in Mexico City, um, and we're delighted to be here. What brought you here, and what do you hope to get from the experience of this trilateral conversation between civil society, government, private sector, and everybody who's here? Well, I believe in the concept of North American identity. I really do because I think I'm a product of it. I always uh, live between two cultures, two countries, uh, two languages. Again, unfortunately, I, I wish. Where do you say, live now? I live in uh, Miami. I've lived half okay, of my life yeah. in the U.S. and the other half in Mexico. I'm a, uh, a child of NAFTA, right? I grew up when, yeah. when, the, when, uh, when, when they, they signed the, the free trade agreement. I, I grew up watching uh, American television and having sort of American cultural influences in my life. And now I'm, I think, uh, promoting American, Mexican culture uh, all the time in, in, in the U.S. Um, I, I work for a U.S. network like CBS. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was actually the, the, the first Latino correspondent in the 60, sorry, the 55-year history of 60 Minutes, a, a new oh, show. Oh, is that right? Um, and, and, and I was bringing stories that I think were relevant yeah. As you know, in the terms of 
who, I, who am I as an individual and why, why am I looking at the world through this lens? Um, so I think all of that. And for 60, sorry to interrupt you, but for 60 minutes, that's an audience, a really important American audience principally that they want to reach, right? So it's nice to have some, uh, yeah. some representation. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hispanic population is growing in, in the U.S. and 60% and of that Latino or Hispanic population comes from Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, you do the math and, and companies in media and other industries are paying attention and saying we need to reach those consumers. Mm -hmm. I, I want to talk a little bit about one of the other challenges that we have, which is I sort of an identity obsession. And it's really hard sometimes to tell a story. We, we've, we've done a couple of discussions of indigenous people in Canada, and they often say, well, nothing about us without us. We want to be part of the voice. With so many voices and such diverse societies that we have, obviously you can always cover politicians and people in big offices, but how do you tell the story uh, of so many diverse people, you never run out of another person interview. And yet some of those stories are so important to recognize the U.S. isn't a monolith, Mexico's not a monolith, neither is Canada. And we have we have to give all of those stories their due. How do you manage that? Well, uh, I, I try to stay away from the official voices. Um, I, I think media tends to over-rely on the official voices. It's easier. And it's easier, right? Um, and we don't get to hear from the people who are affected by the policies that are being implemented by, by official voices, by people in elected uh, office. And so I, I try to bring the conversation to them. It's not that they are, are voice, voiceless or, or, or nobody's listening to them. Is that we're not giving them the space to, 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 to incorporate that voice and that experience. So uh, that's something I learned early on in my career as a journalist here in Mexico and, and in the US. And I try to represent that community in what I do. Um, it's not common to see a non-documented immigrant in a news report on a national news network in the US. And, and we're doing more of that because uh, at a time when everybody's talking about immigration, the one voice that we're missing is the actual is migrants. That, absolutely, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Well, and so we only really probably have time for maybe one or two quick questions. But I, speaking of that, um, those voices, what's happening in the news right now as we're recording this is, I mean, besides a terrible hurricane. Um, but you live in Florida. Uh, the governor of Florida recently um, picked up migrants and sent them away, um, sent, sent them to Nantucket and, and other places. Not clear that they knew what was happening. Pretty clear that it was a political stunt. What, how do you think about that? I mean, what do you, and how do you cover it or have you done reporting on it? Well, I think it's hard to cover immigration now in the U.S. because everyone speaks the side and no one thinks there's a, a middle ground. Unfortunately, it's one of the issues where there is common ground. Absolutely. And where people act, there's large consensus on what Americans want to do on immigration. And it has to uh, deal with the fact that most people want comprehensive immigration reform and most people are against walls and family separation and more people are for guest worker programs and common sense immigration policy. Um, but once in practice, we're not seeing that. So I try to approach it with a lot of nuance, understanding this is a very complex issue. No, I think we're, we're, yeah. we're tired of this oversimplistic rhetoric and yeah. catchy phrases on, 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 on migrants and, and this, 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 this sort of political um, theater around, yeah. around migrants. I think the most important part, again, was humanizing those those, right. those those people, right? They, they tend to be criminalized, dehumanized in media, mm -hmm. and then just putting a microphone and a camera and knowing their story, people that were flown to Martha's Vineyard uh, on, right. from Florida, well, actually from Texas, paid by Florida, um, 
they 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 were coming from places like Venezuela, fleeing yeah. Maduro, fleeing right. the, the, the 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 same exact regime that other Republican leaders or even Florida's governor Ron DeSantis say publicly they're against. Exactly, exactly. And and once the people that are fleeing that show up at the door and say help me then they use them as and, a spade. And we've talked about it. We've got to wrap up here. You and I have to go speak on a couple of panels in just about 30 seconds. But we've talked about it here on the podcast while we've been in Mexico City about really changing the narrative about people coming into our countries and as an economic competitive advantage. And so maybe we start thinking about them entirely differently. Um, so that's what that's what that's the conversation we're having here on Canusa Street. And just invite your listeners to to look at information the way they look at food. Maybe instead of going for the for the fast food junk food option that it's very attractive I love that. and it's tasty and 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 you know looks fulfilling but has no nutritional value and it's actually doing yeah brain food. What's doing, healthy for you? What's healthy for you? Go beyond the headline. Really immerse yourself when you when you feel emotional. There's an emotional response about something you reading or seeing, try to dig deeper, verify the sources, and I'm sure you'll find a satisfying meal with nutritional value at the end of that, uh, as opposed to, you know, just going for the for the easy uh, clickbait. I love it. I love it. And on that note, thank you no, for no, coming. We no, hope no, we can no. have you back. Thank you so much. Yes, it's please. It's been wonderful. And thank nice you so much. You too. You too. Well, Chris, I have to say that was a sobering conversation uh, with a journalist who risks his life, really, uh, to cover the news. And that's not something we think about here in the United States every day or in Canada, that that the very act of journalism is something that is so dangerous. I, I agree. And I think when you get used to Canada-U.S. border issues, you're used to them being frustrated lines or infrastructure that doesn't work, delays. But the real human tragedy of, at, that's at the U.S.-Mexico border is something that I think has to be seen to be believed. And we're lucky to have journalists like uh, Enrique Acevedo who are risking their lives on the ground and trying to and trying to tell this story, which however you feel about immigration and the border really deserves to be told and better understood. I agree. And, you know, bringing bringing the the individuals and the humanity of um, of 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 migration and of refugees is something that uh, he has really innovated for 60 Minutes and other and other you know, U.S. national broadcast. So anyway, I, I really appreciated the discussion and uh, glad, glad that we got to meet him. And I, yeah, I agree. And I think for those who are Canadian listeners, there's always been this tendency to say, we don't want to be lumped in with the U.S.-Mexico border because we understand how different it is. And I think that's a fair charge for the Americans to take Canada's border separately. But Canadians can't be indifferent in a North American economy to that condition on the U.S.-Mexico border. So even as they demand or ask the U.S. to treat Canada separately, they really can't ignore what's happening with Mexico because that's an important part of the story. Well, that's exactly right. And the other thing is the reality in Washington is, you, you know, over the course of years, there's a one border policy there, or you can't treat the northern border differently than the southern border. So at the very least, you've got to understand what's happening uh, at the U.S.-Mexico border because it absolutely impacts the politics and the policies that define what the art of the possible is with U.S.-Canada. So very important conversation. Very important. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's ironic that in many ways, Canadians' compassion and their, you know, their concern for people around the world is one of their hallmarks. Canadians are very caring people, very internationally minded. And yet somehow Mexico, because it's a complicated relationship, can sometimes be the blind spot. And so we need our Canadian friends to really engage on this issue. And they could 
not do better than Enrique Acevedo as a guide to what's happening, uh, what's happening at the border. That's right. Well, great conversation as always, my friend. We will see you next time at Canusa Mex, the Mexico City edition. I'm loving being on the road with you, Scotty. You too. See you later. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.